At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Praise God, church. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to preach today. I'm so excited for this passage in 1 Peter that we're going to be looking at. I don't know what you guys have been experiencing lately, um, but for me, as I've gone around, as I've met with different people, as I've gone about my life, as I've had the opportunity to help lead some of our discipleship houses, which are right down the street here, uh, 661 Lookout Street, if any of you guys ever want to visit, uh, you're always welcome. Um, but I've seen a lot of hopelessness. I've seen a lot of people in despair. I've seen a lot of people hurting for what's going on in their lives. I've seen people who are hopeless in their financial situation, who are hopeless in the political environment, who are hopeless in the COVID-19 pandemic, or the vaccine, or their unemployment, or their opportunities, or lack of opportunities, or maybe even their inability to take some opportunities that have been in front of them. It seems like many people feel misplaced, and even as if the entire world around them is falling apart. Perhaps the most hopeless moments in my life when I think back are moments when I've placed my hope in things of this world, whether it be in basketball or in a job or in a relationship, where I put so much hope and so much time into a thing of this world, and I put all of my energy into it, and sometimes you even achieve those things. You accomplish those things. You receive the thing you've been searching to find. But when you get it, you realize the very thing of this world, the very accomplishment you've been going after, the very thing you wanted to get, when you receive it, you realize very quickly that it leaves you maybe even more unfulfilled than you were in the first place. I don't know where you guys are at today. I don't know if you're feeling hopeless in the season. I don't know if the pandemic uh, has been hard on you, if there's areas of your life where you feel hopeless, or maybe everything about your life feels hopeless. Unfortunately, at times, I think if we're honest, we can admit that we all face moments and seasons in our life where we have no hope. I read a survey this week that said that 48% of Americans right now, uh, over, over the past uh, couple months, are feeling down, depressed, or hopeless during the pandemic. 48%. That's almost half the country. And I don't know what you think, but I think that number seems low. As I've gone around, as I've met with people, as I've seen people, as I've gone about my life, I've seen so many people who seem so broken and in despair because of the world and circumstances around them. So what are we to make of all this hopelessness? Is hope dead? Should we just uh, embrace hopelessness knowing that uh, maybe if we try really hard to accomplish some things or if we put God and maybe fill him in some of the gaps of our life or just busy ourselves for long enough then we won't feel the extent of our hopelessness? Is all we can hope in? Is hope dead? One of the things that I believe this uh, 2020 really, uh, this season in 2020 has, has demonstrated is that a lot of the things that we have placed our hope in, a lot of the institutions and people of the world that we have placed our hope in have overpromised and underdelivered. Therefore, we're desperate. We're desperate for meaning. We're desperate for identity. We're desperate for purpose. We're desperate for hope. 
But the beautiful part about that is that's exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ has to offer. That's exactly what the passage we're looking at today in 1 Peter has to offer. And that is a hope. A hope that is beyond this world. A hope that is beyond all the hopelessness that's around us. Again, we're starting a series today called Unshakable. And we're going to see that hope is not dead. Hope has a pulse. And it has a pulse because Jesus has rose from the dead and he is alive. Which brings us to our big idea today. That Jesus is our living hope. Can you say it with me again? Jesus is our living hope. So let's open our Bibles. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that means you're like me. And every week you get guilted by Pastor Ryan for not having a Bible. The good news is, if you don't own a Bible, Pastor Ryan, he will buy you one. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, if you guys could turn there. we got a lot to cover today. There's so much in this passage. I wish we could spend two hours, uh, but Ryan would probably be mad at me. So uh, I believe Peter and this text has given us a couple things uh, that we can really focus on, things that I believe can give us hope in the midst of all we're going through. What I love about this text is, just like we are in a culture, a time, an environment where the circumstances, the trials, the sufferings all around us seem to be more than we can bear. Just like there's a seemingly ever-expanding disconnect between our culture and the morals uh, they teach us are important and what our faith is. So the people that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter were also living in an environment that was hostile towards Christianity. They're living in an environment, he's writing to people in a culture where they're getting persecuted for their faith. And they're facing real exile from the culture and people around them. And the first thing Peter really teaches us in this passage uh, is that we can praise God that heaven is secure. Praise God that heaven is secure. So let's pick up in verse 1 here again, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear this, when I hear this passage, when I hear about this living hope, I get excited. I get excited because in a world where everything is broken and hopeless around you, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us hope. And that hope is in Jesus. The first thing we got to notice about this passage is it's written by Peter. It's unmistakable that Peter wrote this. If we've been around church, we're familiar with Peter, right? I think we can all relate to Peter in one way or another. Peter was the fisherman. He was the leader. He was the weak. He was the strong. He was the guy who always spoke out, no matter if he... It was a good thing that he spoke out or a bad thing that he spoke out. He was the guy who walked on water. He was the guy who Jesus told him, You're gonna, I'm going to build my, my church on you as a rock. And then a couple lines later told him, get behind me, Satan. It's the same Peter who was a witness of the resurrected Lord. 
And Peter's writing to a very specific group of people in this passage, whom he calls the elect exiles of the dispersion. The elect exiles of the dispersion. These were Christians who were spread out over what is now modern-day Turkey. So what does Peter mean by this phrase, elect exiles? They're two very strong yet opposite words. Well, first let's dive into what it means to be elect. To be elect means we've been called by God. It means that we are his. It means that he's adopted us as his sons and his daughters. We're a people of God. We're distinct from the world around us. Peter reminds these believers that they were called according to the foreknowledge of God, meaning that God, beyond time, he knew us before time. And the same God that knew these believers in Turkey, he knows us now. And since the foundation, since before the foundation of the world, he has known that we are his children. He also reminds these believers in Turkey of being in the sanctification of the Spirit. To be sanctified is to be made holy, to be consecrated, to be set apart. And these believers had been set apart for the exact moment that they were in. Though the climate around them was hostile, that the climate around them uh, that they lived in gave them persecution and they faced persecution and trials, God had sanctified them, he had set apart and he was uh, using them in the exact moment they were in, just like he's using us now. Just like God has set us apart, his children, in the exact moment and time we are living in today in 2020. Finally, we've been set apart for the obedience to Jesus Christ because of the sprinkling of his blood, because we've been called by God as our Father, because we're being sanctified and set apart by the Spirit. By the Spirit, um, We're called to live a life in obedience to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to become more like Jesus. Why? Because he rose from the dead, and he sprinkled his blood on the cross for all of us. What a beautiful description. What a beautiful triune description of who we are in Christ. But I love what Peter says about these elect uh, exiles in verse 3. It says, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's elect have been spiritually reborn into a living hope. And this hope is alive because Jesus is alive. This hope has a pulse because Jesus has a hope. pulse. This hope is in us today, and we can believe in it because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us. His resurrection gives us a living hope. And this hope is not just, it's not like a hope, for example, where we would hope that it wouldn't rain because we're trying to go to the beach, or that it wouldn't snow because we got a long drive to work tomorrow. It's not that type of hope. It's a hope that's what? Let's look back in verse 4. That's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Therefore, Jesus' resurrection guarantees for his elect that they have an inheritance that will never die. It will never be defiled and that will never fade away. So we're God's elect but we're also exiles, elect exiles. What does it mean to be an exile? Exiles are pilgrims, they're strangers. They're a person whose address doesn't match the people around them. There are people living in a land that's foreign to them. So are we exiles? How are, how are we exiles if we're elect? Um, we're elect exiles because 
when we have been born again to a living hope, to Jesus Christ, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, we are no longer citizens of this world, but we are citizens of heaven. Therefore, when we are still in this world, we are exiles. When we are still in this world, we're in a land that's not our home. And until we are with Jesus, we are not home. So we're adopted as sons, we're adopted as daughters um, by God, yet we're rejected by the world. We're friends of God, yet we're enemies of the world. Is that how your experience is beginning to feel? Are you maybe sensing you live in a culture that's completely hostile, even, towards Jesus? Though you're a child of God, do you feel like an exile in a land that's not your own? I mean, think about all the things this world uh, tells us to pursue. What do you know in this life that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? See, the people and the institutions of this world will die. The political system in this country and the CEOs and the, the, the NBA stars that we put our trust in, they're all defiled. The riches of this world, the things we can uh, try to accumulate while we're on this earth, they're all going to fade away. But the inheritance that we receive when we are born again to the living hope of Jesus Christ is imperishable. It will never die. It's undefiled. It cannot be defiled by anything. And it's, it, it's uh, unfading. It will never fade away. In Christ we find our story. We find our meaning. We find our purpose. We find life. And we find hope. And we can have confidence in our internal, internal inheritance. Because... It will never perish because Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive. Finally, our inheritance um, isn't just everlasting, but it's also secure. We pick back up in verse 5. It said, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When I hear this, that our salvation is secure I am so thankful. I praise God that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because if he wasn't the author and perfecter of our faith, I would lose it. I don't know about you guys, but I would blow it. My salvation would not be secure. But Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Therefore, it's secure. It's guaranteed. And we can praise God that heaven is secure. But if we know that Jesus is our living hope, if we know that heaven is secure, then why are we still going through all this suffering? Why are we still facing trials? And the second thing that Peter really teaches us in this passage that I want to hit on is that we can praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. Let's pick back up in verse 6. In this you rejoice in our inheritance, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. The first thing that sticks out to me about this passage is that um, when we face trials, when we face suffering, it is okay to grieve. It is okay to mourn. It is okay to admit that, man, this is awful. Man, this is hard. Man, these circumstances around me, they are really disheartening. See, when our lament and when our mourning and when our crying out to God leads to an awareness that we're not yet home, that we're still exiles, then we can better classify what we're going through. We can better classify our suffering, our trials. That all of this is temporary. All the things that are causing our suffering, all the things of the world that we put our hope in, that let us down, it's all temporary. And it's not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. I think this is why community is so critical. I think this is why life groups are so important. Because we need each other. Because we're going to face trials. We're going to face suffering. Life is hard. The culture around us is hostile. Things are not as they were created to be. Therefore, we need each other. Why? Because when we're alone, the devil's got us. When we're alone, the devil has power over us. But in community, in life groups, we can cry on one another's shoulders. When that loved one pass away, passes away, we can be strengthened by one another. We can be encouraged by one another with the good things that are going on in our life. When we're struggling, we can have someone to confide in. When we've fallen, we can confess our sins to our brothers or sisters so that we can be healed. Life groups, community, being with the body of believers, this gathering, it's so important. We need each other. I think it's also important to recognize in this passage that Peter is not referring to just any type of suffering that we might experience. He's referring to suffering that is as a result of our faithful and bold witness for Jesus. So for example, he's not talking about the type of suffering we face when we wake up in the morning and we have a massive headache. We have a massive hangover because we drank too many 40s the night before. That's not the type of suffering he's talking about. That suffering as a result of our disobedience. He has an answer to that. We can confess our sins to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the suffering that Peter is referring to in this passage, the suffering that these elect exiles were facing 2,000 years ago in Turkey, pertains to their faithful and bold witness for Christ in a culture that was hostile towards Christianity. In fact, I would argue that this passage actually assumes a faithful and bold witness for Christ. Recently in my life, I've been encouraged by one of my brothers. He's sitting in the front row here. His name's Jared. And he, um, he is a freshman at Oakland University. Um, and he feels that God was calling him to um, be a missionary on campus. So what he did was he started these worship nights. And there's only been two of them so far. And to be honest, not a lot of people have come. It's kind of weird. People look at us. You might feel uncomfortable. You might feel like, is this a waste of time? Why am I here? What is God doing here? Uh, we just worship Jesus. We sing some songs. We pray. And the last time we went out, we had been worshiping Jesus, singing some songs, walking around the campus and praying. And we came to this dorm. And this dude, Jared, 
was praying so loud. He was praying so boldly for such an extended period of time, proclaiming the name of Jesus, that one of the few students who's actually on campus because of COVID felt so uncomfortable that they found it necessary to call the university cops on us to see what was going on. What an awesome example of what it means to be bold. And what I love about Jared is that he's being faithful and bold right where he's at, right where God has planted him. Amen. You can give praise for that. In the same way, God might not be calling you to lead worship nights at a university, but he is calling you to be a faithful and bold witness for Jesus and proclaim his living hope wherever he has planted you. Is that what your life looks like? Are we boldly living a gospel-driven life where God has planted us? See, in our culture, I think a lot of Christians are really good at checking the boxes. We're really good at looking good in front of the other Christians. But when, it, when, when the trial comes, when the suffering comes, when the moment of truth comes where we have to stand up for our faith, oftentimes many Christians in our culture, their lack of faith is revealed. See, our trials reveal our trust in Jesus. And I think one of the biggest questions that comes up when we're facing trials, when we're facing suffering, when we're facing the hurt of the world is why? Why, Jesus? I thought it was going to get easier. I thought when I started to follow you, you were going to make all this easier. I was going to be peaceful and happy and joyful all the time. What's going on here? You seem like you've forgotten about me. What I love about this passage is that Peter gives us the answer to that why. See, our trials, our sufferings, uh, when we're boldly living a life for Jesus, reveal our faith. They show and demonstrate the genuineness of our faith, that our hope is in Jesus. It's a faith that loves Jesus, that worships Jesus. It purifies us, it refines us, it sanctifies us, it makes us more holy. And it deepens our conviction that Jesus is our living hope. See, the thing is, you might not love God's methods. I don't think any of us would say we love uh, being in the moment where we're truly suffering, where we're truly facing a trial. But the thing we got to praise God for is that he's a practitioner of his own methodology. When Jesus came down from heaven and he suffered, his trust in the Father was revealed. And his suffering brought salvation. And yet the craziest part is in the midst of all that, in the midst of being on the cross, when his, he had physical pains, when he had all the sins of the world cast on him, is he was able to find joy. So how was he able to find joy? He was able to find joy because he knew and was looking forward to the outcome. For example, when you go for a workout, when you go to the gym to work on your game, your arms hurt, your legs hurt, you get tired, you're sweaty, you stink. It's not fun. But the next time you go to the park, because all the gyms are closed for COVID, and you're, you're playing pickup with your friends, the outcome is worth it because you're in better shape. And you dominate the game. And, you, and your jump shot is better than it was before. The outcome, of working, or the, the outcome of working out and the pain we felt in it was worth, um, worth the outcome. I mean, the, the suffering was worth the outcome. 
in the same way, but to an abundantly greater extent. Though our current trials may be great. Though our suffering might seem like it's more than we can maybe bear. The outcome and the promise is greater. Because our suffering reveals our faith. And what does it say in verse 9? That the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. The outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. The outcome is worth the trial. And this brings us to our last point today. uh, As we pick back up in verse 10. That we can praise God. That salvation has come. Let's pick back up in verse 10 here. It says, concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them. Was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news of Jesus. The good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. For me, these last three verses are the exclamation mark on the whole passage. Well, what's going on here? In the Old Testament, there were prophets. Prophets were people who spoke on behalf of God by direct revelation from God. And these prophets, the greatest of all their prophecies pertained to the Christ, to the Savior, to the Messiah that was to come. They prophesied that he was to come and he was to suffer. And then he was to be glorified so that he could bring redemption and salvation to all people. But I think the challenging part for a lot of these prophets is that even though they were getting this incredible, hope-filled promise that a Christ was coming, They didn't know when the prophecy would actually be fulfilled. Can you imagine being one of these prophets? Can you imagine receiving directly from God the most hope-filled message as you can possibly imagine in a culture and climate where everything seems to be broken, that God is sending his son Christ into this world, the Christ, the Messiah, to, uh, to suffer for your sake, to be glorified for his glory so that he can bring salvation for all people, but you don't know when it's going to come? These prophets were searching. They were inquiring. They were probably talking to their friends. They were looking around them at the signs and all the things that were going on in hope, in desperation, in prayer, that the Messiah might come during their lifetime. They had so much hope, yet they didn't even see the outcome. What about us today? We have the outcome. Jesus has come. The Christ has come. He has suffered. He has been glorified. He has brought salvation to all. We are the recipients of these promises. Jesus' redemptive work has been completed. And Jesus is our living hope. And we know that we've been called to an inheritance that's imperishable. Therefore, we should be praising God for this living hope. If these prophets who didn't know the outcome, who didn't see the outcome, could have so much hope. That the Christ would come, that the Christ would come during their lifetime and they would see him and they would be redeemed because he suffered and was glorified to bring salvation for them. How much more should we who know the outcome live in this hope 
of the Messiah and praise him that he has come. He has been glorified and he has brought salvation to all. That he is our living hope. That he's, he's uh, saved us and born us again to an inheritance that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for us. We're being guarded. It's secured. And when we face trials, even though they might be hard, even though it seems like everything's against us, even though it seems like the suffering might be more than we can then we can bear, we can praise Jesus. And we can praise him because we know that we can have joy. Why? Because we know the outcome. And the outcome is our salvation. We can praise Jesus for that. I think we need to be honest with ourselves, church. Where are we at? Are we living in this hope today? Do we believe that Jesus is our living hope? Maybe some of us need to ask if we're tired of living in this hopelessness that the world has to offer and ready to place our faith and hope and trust in Jesus. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, I want to encourage you, there's no better time than now. There's no better day today. Why? Because Jesus is alive and he's calling you. He has come. He has suffered and completed the work on the cross. He's now been glorified, and he's brought salvation to all, just like he promised all the way back in Genesis 12 with Abraham. He has come. He has fulfilled the prophecy. There's no other person or philosophy or political candidate or institution in this world that will ever deliver fulfillment. They will always overpromise and underdeliver. But Jesus is our living hope. And if your hope isn't in Jesus today, it can be the day. In Romans it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has rose him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through him. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't placed your hope in him yet, I pray that today would be the day. Don't leave this place without talking to someone. Don't leave this place without crying out to God and say, Jesus, help me. Help me, Lord. I'm hopeless. I'm tired of chasing after all the things of this world. I'm tired of my addictions. I'm tired of all the brokenness I have in the past. Would you please save me? I believe that you are my living hope. I believe that you have an inheritance in heaven for me because I've been born again through your resurrection. And I need you, Jesus. Don't leave this place without placing your hope in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, is he really your living hope? Do you really believe that your inheritance that you're receiving and the life to come is better than what you can get on this earth? Do you really believe that? Because if we believe that, if we believe that, our lives would look different. If we believe that, we would really be elect exiles. If we believe that, the culture around us would seem at odds with what we believe. Is that what your life looks like? Are we ready to be faithful wherever God has planted us? And if not, why not? If not, maybe we need to ask, do we even want those things? Is there maybe a deeper brokenness going on that we need to address with God? 
But wherever you are today, I pray that you can come to a greater understanding of Jesus as your living hope. Because he can turn all of your hopelessness into a hope that is so far greater than anything this world has to offer. And when you have that hope, you find your purpose. You find your meaning. You find your identity, even if everything else around you in this world is, following, is falling apart. Because Jesus truly is our living hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we confess that we need you right now. We confess that we need you more than we even understand. Lord, we confess that we've placed our hope and our trust in so many things in this world that always overpromise and underdeliver. God, would you meet us right now? Would you come right now, Jesus? Would you open our eyes? If there's someone in here who doesn't know you yet, Jesus, who hasn't placed their faith and hope in the living Christ, that they would come to you today, Jesus. That they would talk to someone. That they would come to the altar if they need to come to the altar. That they would cry out to God in their seats if they needed to cry out to you in their seats, Jesus. We know you're our living hope. We know we're in a world, in a climate, in a culture, in a season where everything seems to be against us, where the world seems to be falling apart. But Jesus, I pray wherever we're at, today we come to a greater understanding that you're our living hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.